Hello, how the tech are you? This is our weekly tech show on Echoplex Media. And uh, I think this week, or whenever the show actually comes out, we're a little behind, but uh, we're going to be uh, attacking the uh, techno-corporatist people for fun and profit, I guess. Uh, anyways, I'm historian Matt, and I like to talk about science and technology news. And I just got a couple of stories today. They're actually a little bit more political, but what I got is uh, John Deere allows farmers to fix their own tractors. That was kind of, that's been an issue for a while. And the other one is Exxon scientists accurately predicted climate change as early as 1977. So there's some interesting uh, research that went into that recently, and I'll go over that. HK is... Well, he's coming back from an adventure. He's not back yet, but he will be for next week. So, uh, Dave. Hi, I'm got? Dave. I'm the producer of this show and all the shows here on Echoplex Media. And this week, I just have a story about ex-Twitter employees and a failed class action lawsuit. And uh, I suppose it's 16 terabyte SSD for 100 bucks on Amazon that you shouldn't buy. <laughs> all right. So, real quick, I, I, there's... Not a lot to cover on this one, but uh, John Deere finally allows farmers to fix their own tractors. So John Deere and the American Farm Bureau Federation signed a memorandum of understanding. Uh, not that I understand what that is, but anyway, <laughs> basically it means that uh, John Deere must provide diagnostic tools and software to people and organizations outside of the company's official or authorized repair centers. Uh, this is kind of a big deal because since uh, 2016, John Deere has required all repairs to go through their, they, all repairs that involve the embedded software to go through their authorized repair centers. And uh, if you've been paying attention to farming at all, I know that's not really a super exciting topic, but um, yeah, the farmers have been complaining about this for quite some time because if their tractor goes down, you know, they can't quickly get it to a repair facility. Uh, most of the time, uh, you know, farmers will try to fix stuff themselves, but they can't do it without this diagnostic software. So what do you think, Dave? Have you heard about this? Yeah, the right to repair stuff. It's really kind of interesting that a bunch of like what we would think of as like your kind of normal techies and farmers are like in this together on the, yeah. as far as trying to get this, this, this to ha like to go through. And I mean, there, there's going to come a time where these pieces of equipment are so advanced and so like, I don't know, I guess like all the stuff's integrated like onto one board to where you won't be able to fix it anyway. But for now, yeah. like just like not even allowing well, people to fix the stuff and then voiding their warranty for trying is bad. Well, you know, it's like uh, cars with the tractors, right? So one of the big issues is they can't even get the little device to plug into their tractor that gives you the code that you can look up to figure out what's actually wrong with it. Right. And then they could fix it. Uh, and uh, so now they're, they're being allowed to do that. Uh, and you know, like farming, it's very time sensitive. You can't like sit there and wait for stuff, you know, wait to get your tractor back, you know, in a few months or something. Right. It's stuff has to be harvest, harvested in a short, small window. Right. Uh, like if, if you were, uh, like off a day because you had to fix something yourself or maybe even two days. Cause you had to order a part. You might be able to get away with it, but if it's three weeks or a month then you're, yeah, you're, you're in trouble, totally screwed. you're in big trouble. Like, unless you can like borrow somebody else's equipment, but these are like big yeah. factory farms. These aren't like 
you know, this isn't like mom and pop cattle or whatever. Like you're not well, going to. Uh, some of these are like mom and pop uh, farms. Like the smaller tractors still use John Deere tractors. You know, smaller farms use John Deere tractors and they have the same problem. I mean, not it's not the scale kind of thing. You know, if they're, they're off by a day or something, you know, they, it's not, they're not going to lose as much money, right. As a, as big farm, but um, like, yeah, they still lose money. They, it's still a big problem. And I would imagine and that it's, still it's, screwing it's not a matter of just borrowing like your neighbor's tractor. Cause if it's harvest season for you, it's probably harvest season for them. Yeah. That's, that's an issue. <laughs> I mean, I suppose yeah. one could rent something, but I don't even know how, I don't even know how all that works, but this is, this is good. Um, that the John Deere is apparently they weren't forced to do it, right? They've just decided that this is what they're going to do probably because of the public backlash and they'd rather decide to do it than be forced to do it in a way that they don't want to. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like they were getting a lot of pressure and then, so uh, legislation hadn't come out to actually force them to do it, but if they had, you know, kept doing it for a, a while, they, it probably would have happened. I mean, farmers have a lot of political power. Yeah, yeah. John Deere might have more, but it would still be there. If if it was legislated too, it wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't necessarily be in a, like the, this wouldn't necessarily happen in a way that John Deere likes. So if they get yeah. out ahead of it, they get to dis- like self-regulate or whatever. They get to self-regulate in a way that they particularly like or they think is going to work right. better for them. Right. Well, I yeah. guess that's I guess that's good news. I don't know enough about it, but um, hopefully it bodes well for the rest of the right to repair movement. Yeah, <laughs> which does seem to be picking up steam. There's been some other uh, stuff happening with that. Don't know if I uh, if I have more info on it late, later. We'll. Uh, uh, certainly report on it, but on to my second topic. This is kind of this is not well. It's kind of old news, uh, new news kind of thing. So Exxon scientists accurately predicted climate change as early as 1977. We kind of already knew that they had been predicting it from quite a long time ago. But you know, Exxon was had sponsored its own research, its own climate scientists for internal research, been doing it for decades. But just recently, a bunch of their internal documents, I guess, became uh, available. I don't know the details. It wasn't in the article, but uh, what ended up happening is these uh, science historians, it's Jeffrey Sopran and Naomi Oreskes, I think is the name uh, pronounced properly, but they went through and analyzed all the research and they found that there was like uh, 16 different climate projections from 1977 to 2003, I think in 2003 or so obvious that Exxon basically cut all their scientists, uh, climate scientists, but it turns out like two thirds of the, uh, of these projections, uh, the error bars overlap with the actual measured temperatures, which means they were, they were very accurate. Uh, these projections for the time. Uh, and you know, that means that basically Exxon has known about, uh, climate change and uh, the global warming for since 1977. And surprisingly, they noticed like through this same time period, the executives at Exxon were saying statements that uh, really were inconsistent with this research. Surprise, surprise. So basically the, the executives were lying for all that time. They did know about global warming and uh, haven't done anything about it. I'm stunned that an oil company would behave in this, this fashion. No, this is, yeah, you're, really. you're right. It is old news, new news, because I think some of this internal stuff had been leaked previously. 
Yeah, and people knew about it. The the new news is basically these couple of science historians actually went through all the documents and and figured out like you know showed that they actually knew that this research was actually correct that the projections were correct and everything and um certain and clearly showed that at the same time that these projections came out the exxon executives were saying stuff completely different or paying a, a media person to say something completely different yes. yeah yeah uh, this is I, I knew it was like since the 80s. I didn't know since the 70s. And it sounds like what happened here is somebody got like a, got like decided to take a look at like more information or whatever from the projections and found out that they were not just that global warming or climate change was real, but that these projections from these companies were actually quite accurate. And it would have been very nice if yeah. they would have shared this information with everyone. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's not only, yes, this is happening. It's yes, this is happening. And we actually got it right or within like our own margins of error and that's a yeah pretty good pretty good actually if you consider going all the way back to 77 and it matches up with like just recently yeah well apparently um well i think the the models were adjusted so uh, over the years but you know back in the 70s they didn't have computers that were powerful enough to do these projections so like a lot of this was like done by hand and based on uh apparently just more simple physics models uh, and they were still pretty accurate. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Would have been That's nice if they would have shared with the class. Yeah. Well, That's all I got. That's pretty bad. Well, we're going to move on to my stories then I suppose here. Uh, it, it looks like, so a bunch of Twitter employees, former Twitter employees were trying to form a class action lawsuit to deal with the fact that they weren't given severance uh in a timely manner and that they were felt like they were being shortchanged <clears throat> now some judge somewhere has told them they have to drop their class action lawsuit and go into the arbitration that they originally agreed to with like their original employment contract as articles from the verge and the contract doesn't even state that arbitration is mandatory, but it seems like the judge just decided they should go into arbitration over this. And I, I have a, I have some questions here, and they weren't answered by the article, but like, is there anybody at Twitter who's employed there still who could handle the arbitration, for example? <laughs> uh, so I, I read a similar article from a different site and decided not to report on it because I was <laughs> expecting you to do it. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> I guessed right. But the other article that I read said something like uh, it was in their employment contract that they had to go through arbitration. Uh, they said they signed it somewhere along, signed some, some waiver. However, a number of uh, Twitter employees did not sign that and refused to, to do arbitration. So they will be able to join a class action suit, but it's not that many. Uh, have you been following the whole like arbitration uh, controversy recently? I mean, it's not recent. There's all kinds of, yeah. uh, you know, for example, Scientology was using forced arbitration yeah. to try to avoid, to try to avoid lawsuits. And they had a pretty good track record of getting the judge and the courts to agree with them until they didn't. <laughs> it's really weird that Scientology would be able to do it, but a lot of these companies, when you go work for them, they, or, or you use their stuff. Like that was the, the scary one. If you use their products, they have a clause in there that you click through to, to agree to forced arbitration. And then of course they're paying the arbitrator. So surprise, surprise, they tend to win. Right. 
right? Because you can't, as a as a consumer in that case, unless you're like very well off, very very well yeah. off, you're not going to go hire the arbitrator. And even if you do tr- go try to hire your own arbitrator, what's to force the, the contract? Probably says you have to agree to their uh, arbitration yeah. company or their arbitration contractor. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard something about that. I think forced arbitration, all in all, is pretty bad. I think the idea yeah, is it, fairly good, like that you could avoid court by negotiating like outside of court to try to make everybody whole, not clog up right. the court systems and maybe maybe everybody gets what they want and people can part ways in a, you know, an amicable amicable. Yeah, I think well in California they do mediation, right? It's not arbitration. Right. Uh right? Is that I think that's what they call it, which is something similar to that where they bring people in to not really a court kind of thing, but it's, you know, to first attempt at resolving differences uh and it seems to keep a lot of stuff out of the courts yeah um, a friend of mine's mother after she quit practicing law started doing mediation yeah but that's like paid by the state of california right that's not yes something that one side or the other pays for mm-hmm. that was like an uh, off that, so it's like a- much more fair it's it's one of those things it's basically the, the forced arbitration is basically a corporate takeover of you know our legal system yeah and the, 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 the state uh, mediation is a, actually a pretty common off-ramp for people who are maybe not burned out from being a trial attorney, but are just done, like they're done, but they don't want to, they don't want to quit working and they don't want to like not have anything to do with the court system. And so a lot of people, a lot of retired judges do it. A lot of retired yeah. trial attorneys do it. You know, they're people who are familiar with the law and are kind of able to nudge people in certain directions based on what they know about the law to like avoid, um, to avoid a court case. Um, but that's not the same thing as our arbitration arbitration. Usually it's the, the company, the, whoever has the power is usually the one who just decides who the arbitrator is. And they're the ones paying that person's, uh, paying for that yeah. person or that entity to do the arbitration. So forced arbitration is bad. I think, uh, it needs to be kind of gotten rid of. I don't mind it as a first step, but I, I feel like if it's the only step and it's written into the contract that you can't use the courts to be made whole, then I feel like that, I feel like that shouldn't be allowed to be put into anybody's contract actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that kind of arbitration should be made completely legal. If they want to do mediation, that's through regular court system kind of thing. Then, I mean, that's fine. Uh, if they're just trying to reduce court costs kind of thing, but or even, even it's if it's just, even if you're forced like in before you, you know, if you're before you sue the company, you're forced to go to arbitration. Even if all you do is show up and go, no, you know what I'm saying? They could still have that, but you sh- you would, you should still have the option to then be like, well, I don't like this arbitration process. This seems a little skewed to me. We're going to court. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even if it's in there and you kind of have to, even if you know it's going to be bullshit and you, you just show up like to show up. I mean, it, right. you know, that would be fine if, or if it was optional, that would be fine too. If you're like, well, let's give this a try because this might be quicker and I might get what I want and we might just be able to cut ties with one another without having to deal with the right. court and the lawyers and all that. That's fine. But yeah, this idea that you can put in a contract that you just can't sue me is yeah. like bad. That's really bad. <laughs> it's, I would say it is you, like you said, it's corporate takeover of the law. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. So I feel sorry for these people and, um, you know, what, I wonder what happens like legitimately if like the department that handles the arbitration for Twitter isn't there anymore. Like then what, what happens after that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's, that's not an unreasonable question to ask. I don't yeah. think all things considered, I just hope these people get their severance and can like move on with their lives. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see like, 
I don't know. I don't, I guess like if there's nobody there to pay them the severance, then they don't get it. But that's like, okay, that Twitter should be being fined every day that these people aren't getting their severance. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. This is going to be interesting. It'd be, it'd be fun to interview a former Twitter employee who hasn't gotten their severance. But then I also feel like that'd be like, uh, what's that? Like chasing ambulances. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like maybe I shouldn't be chasing ambulances. So just on to my next story. This is a real quick one. Just don't buy the $100 16 terabyte SSD that you see on Amazon. It is not a 16 terabyte SSD. They have done a little trick like in the like on the, the basically on the card reader that they have in in there. It's a 64 gigabyte uh SD card. They've done a little trick where the where the circuitry on the on the card reader tells your computer that it's 16 terabytes but then if you go and try to put more than 64 gigabytes of stuff on there it just starts overwriting all the other stuff you had on there (laughs) because what else is it going to do holy crap like how is it Uh, this is not an amazon product right this is some third party that's doing it yeah, it's a third part. It's not an Amazon basic 64 ter- terabyte or 16 terabyte. It says shipped by Amazon, but that doesn't mean anything. People don't understand no, that, yeah, that, that that doesn't mean Amazon anything at all. Amazon ships like everything. Right. So, yeah, don't don't buy it. It's not 16 terabytes. It's not 100 gigabytes. Like don't buy it. Like just for 100 bucks you should be able to get about a terabyte external S- SSD and that's going to be fast and it's going to do you great. Make sure you get it from like a, a Western Digital or a Kingston or micron or like you know some company that has a track record of making flash storage samsung is another good company although samsung one would probably be 160 where the others are 100 because samsung just rips you off on their flash products um but yeah just just don't buy it it's it's a ripoff don't get ripped off it's that old adage if if it looks too good to be true it probably is (laughs) um i'm surprised it's still up there but you know, after this yeah. article came out, it might be gone, but like I, or it could be up like under a different company or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pr- kind of hard to police this stuff. I did see one of them around here that somebody yeah. had gotten for Christmas, but I warned them. I'm like, Hey, don't put anything you care about on this. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Oh, okay. I was like a 16 terabyte SSD is very expensive. Yeah. This is not a 16 terabyte SSD unless somebody spent like would be like a th- at least a grand yeah so yeah don't get ripped off when you when you see flash memory the rule of th- good rule of thumb is it's going to be right around 10 cents a gig if it's significantly less than 10 cents a gig then it's uh there's probably something wrong with it yeah uh so it's probably i mean it's probably coming down in price slowly just not that much not not like this yeah not like this you know, maybe nine cents a gig or even eight right. cents a gig, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. But if you're looking at what, this is less than a cent a gig, I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, this is not, this is not the thing. This is not the thing. Like a, yeah, a terabyte's about a hundred bucks. Like brand new. If it's like high quality, high quality SSD, it's about a hundred bucks. It's, that's for an external. If it's like internal, it might be like 80. Yeah, 16 terabytes for 100 bucks ain't the thing. Don't buy it. And um yeah, we've this this technology is mature enough too that there are companies that do a very good job of making uh, SSDs. Right. Even the even the lower end like the SanDisk and whatnot, they're not like known as being high end, but they're reliable and you're going to get the device that you uh, that you you ordered. Yeah. 
So I guess that's, I guess that's it for my stories. And, um, I'll just go ahead and read the show out this week. Um, it's your turn. How the tech are you? It's our tech show. I am a producer, Dave. I was joined by historian, Matt. Join our Mastodon instance at Port 87 Social if you're not already on Mastodon. And uh, follow us. We'll follow you back. Uh, everything else, echoplexmedia.com. And, uh, I don't know, buy some shirts at eplex.store. Have a great tech week. <laughs>